From The Ringer, I'm Tyler R. Times. When I spoke to NFL star Cam Newton in January, his mindset was clear. I want my whole career to be in Charlotte. Cam won't be getting that wish. He was released by the Carolina Panthers in March. Cam is a complex figure, and my interest in him goes far beyond his exuberant smile and transcendent style of play. Cam broke the glass ceiling in American athletics, ascending to a place in the sport that few black quarterbacks have ever reached, making his fall that much more dramatic. Over the past year, I've traveled the country speaking to coaches and teammates, friends and family, reporters, and even briefly to the man himself, trying to unravel the enigma that is Cam Newton. I uncover contradictions at every turn. How can the hardest worker on the team be depicted as a bad leader? And how can a franchise icon with an NFL MVP and Super Bowl appearance on his resume be so abruptly cast aside? The Ringer NFL Show presents The Cam Chronicles. The series premieres Monday, July 13th. Welcome to Jam Session. I'm Juliette Lippman. I'm Amanda Dobbins. We're going to trade some passions of the week, some things we're enthusiastic about, and check in on the Royals, check in on Sally Rooney. But first, Amanda, please tell us about your late night reading. Yes. So for the past two nights, I have stayed up uh, until almost 1 a.m., which is far later than I normally stay up, uh, in order to read the Jessica Simpson memoir, Open Book which was released several months ago, possibly even last year, to be honest. The, the months blur together at this point. Uh, and no, it was released this year. Wow. Okay. 2020. What a, what a journey. But uh, I was available on Libby, the library app, one of my great passions, as you know. And it was, it was actually a limited uh, checkout from Libby, the library app. Typically you were loaned a book for 21 days, but the Jessica Simpson memoir was in hot demand. So it was seven days only. So I had to read it quickly. Okay. You had to. I did. And also, um, I, I was home alone for the first time in quarantine. My husband had to travel for work. He drove, he was, you know, social distancing, whatever, but it was just me alone. And so what I decided to do was to stay up until 1am reading about a pop star turned reality star turned kind of sociological phenomenon from the first decade of this century. I mean, Jessica Simpson is so many things. What, what's your primary Jessica Simpson memory just as a, a person of the world? So this was very interesting because the book focuses on a lot of different aspects. And I'd like to talk with you about a few of them. It definitely names names um, in terms of her celebrity relationships. And I would say that that is the part that I was most familiar with. Obviously, she was on Newlyweds with her husband, Nick Lachey. Uh, and, I, you know, and that after a kind of long public, not even campaign, but a mission statement about how she would not have sex until marriage. And so then she did marry Nick Lachey and she, they did have sex. Did she confirm that in the book that they did in fact wait? Yes, she does. Because the, her her faith is a big part of the book as well. I just want to say my first Jessica Simpson memory is at my first concert ever. Eh, 
more or less. I also went, I went to a Rockapella concert before, but my real first concert experience was in seventh grade. I went to see 98 Degrees at the Beacon Theater here in New York City. And the two opening acts were Bewitched, uh, who sing the song Say La Vie, and Jessica Simpson featuring one of her dancers, Ashley Simpson. And it's like, you know, it's just such a formative experience. And that's how Nick and Jessica met on this tour that I, I've always felt, you know, they're a big yeah. part of my, my celebrity coming of age. Yeah, you better believe that that tour is in this book. So yeah, it, I, I was familiar with her as a class of the the Britney Spears, Christina Aguilera, In Sync, Ninety Eight Degrees, Jessica Simpson. She was kind of on the edge of that, but I was always more familiar with her as a celebrity than than her music. She talks a lot about her music career and the songs that she writes and records in this book, and I like couldn't tell you one of them I couldn't if you played them for me I would lose the name that tune game instantly however when you said bewitched I was immediately like uh oh because I know oh, what oh, say uh oh yeah say you song. will say you won't yeah so I I am familiar with that genre and that era of music but not Jessica Simpson's music so so that was interesting to me because you know clearly her music and her career is important to her and so she writes about it a lot and this book is like both a mix. It's, it is very candid. Um, in, well, it is, she talks about a lot of things and she is more forthcoming in certain areas than you would really expect both about like those celebrity relationships. She names names. Let me tell you, we'll talk about the John Mayer sections in a minute, but obviously she very famously dated John Mayer. And she talks about her struggles with her career. She talks a lot about body image. Um, you know, there were some very famous photographs of Jessica Simpson, taken at what is what, what was a chili cook-off they were the mom jeans perhaps you remember the high-waisted jeans and I believe this was like 2009 yeah and and it started just kind of an international incident about how we talk about celebrities uh weights and and body image and she was at the center of it and that incident like looms very large in the book it clearly had an effect on her I think she also has talked quite a bit about um, just her struggles when she was first coming up and how she had in like the very early days, but how she felt she had to be really skinny and just the pressures of um, being a pop star when you're a teenager and how and and what that was like for her. Yes, absolutely. And that is in the in the book as well. And she's pretty candid about it. But it's like it's clear that in her mind, that incident, I mean, she calls it the chili cook off incident. And it's like referenced several times in the book as kind of as a, a really formative experience for her. And, you know, she talks a lot about her personal struggles from um, being sexually abused as a kid by a friend to just it, alcoholism, which she struggles with throughout her adult life, essentially. And I believe that she's, she's now in recovery and talks about that process and really talks about her friend staging an intervention, like in the first 50 pages of the book. So the crazy thing, the crazy thing about the mom jeans photos is that style is like so trendy now. Like that is, she sort of was like very early to the high waist, wide leg, um, tucked in shirt that became sort of like two or three years ago, an extremely trendy style that in some ways also like accommodates more body types. Um, Mm -hmm. and it's just like when you look at the picture, it's like she is by no means fat. Like, it's just crazy. And the fact that she was like shamed over that. 
I, I don't think we've come very far in terms of like women's body image, but I do think we've come, we've gone a few inches forward where I don't think that photo would land her on the cover, would go viral in the same way um, today. And I, yeah. again, I, standards of beauty are extremely limited and very defined to like skinny white women still. But I do think that this would not go. I, I don't think it would be the same kind of like fat shaming um, in 2020. I think that's probably true. I think I think you're exactly right where we've come like a little bit of a way. And yeah. she talks, a, I, like I said, she talks a lot about this incident and the book and she she's like analyzing the media coverage and she's obviously very savvy because she's been in front of cameras and been creating a career for 20 years now. So she can both tell you like what went wrong. She's like dissecting the angles of the photograph, which is, you know, there, I would like to talk a little bit more about this, but it's clear she's working through it. And some, there are moments where she's maybe like still trying to, to make herself feel okay about the photograph, even as she knows that everything that happened around it was like nonsense and that the standards are completely unfair. And frankly, I think that's like a pretty honest portrayal of how a woman of our age, cause she's, I think she's a couple years older than us, or maybe she's the same age, honestly. Um, she's a little bit older, a bit older than has, us. has been, you know, affected by her an entire life of pop culture and and living in the eye and and what you process and what you know is good for you and how you know you should think and value yourself versus kind of like instincts and things have been programmed in. So I don't hold that against her. But she's also then dissecting like the the media coverage and and her response. And she was like, if I said this, then I would be uh, feeding in, you know, if I tried to explain that I was like a different size or that, you know, this, that or the other, it was unfair, then I would be feeding into negative conceptions for young women. And I didn't want to do that. So I had just had to be silent and I had to just let all of these people just completely blather on. And, you know, it's different that 10 years later, she is writing a book about it and, and sharing her perception and sharing her, both her hurt and her knowledge gain. And she has a platform for that. And people are willing, are more able to hear it in the right way, if that makes any sense. So I, I do think we've changed slightly, but it was, it was like, I had forgotten what a big deal it is, what a big deal it was Me too. Um, and, and how big it was. So, you know, I thought all that was really interesting. The She names names. The John Mayer she stuff. Did, she names a lot of names. When the book first came out, it was like, there were so yeah. many page six stories. I mean, very saucy. Yes. The John Mayer stuff goes on at great length um, because they're just on and off. And she talks about kind of the email and text relationship that frankly sounds pretty similar to what Taylor Swift has uh, insinuated in her songs. So I... I am sensing a pop cultural pattern here. You know, it's obviously her side of the story. And she like, she names names about Nick. She names name Nick Lachey. She names names about uh, Tony Romo. And there are a few, several times in the book where you do become aware that you're hearing one person's side of the story, if that right. makes any sense. Sure, sure. Um, and, and you also become aware that she is doing work to reemphasize the parts of her career that she wants to be remembered for. There is a lot of stuff about her work with the, the USO tour. And there's a lot of stuff about the Jessica Simpson collection, which is obviously like a wildly successful fashion undertaking, like wildly successful. Jessica Simpson has done extremely well for herself. It has to be, I'm sure it start, you know, I think a lot of 
brands like that start out with like just the collections that you make. And I'm sure she was involved, but then you can start licensing her name. And I assume that's what happened with her. You know, when you, when brands branch out outside of like their core, like dresses or, and then they add shoes and they add accessories and then bags or whatever. Usually it's through licensing of your name. And like you work with a company that, that excels in that. And that's where the money is. And I, I'm pretty sure that's what happened with the Jessica Simpson brand and shout out to her. I absolutely love it. It's funny. She doesn't get as much credit for it as some other, um, like celebrities who turned their themselves into brands, but she was pretty early to it. Yes. And trust me, she makes that point over and over again in the book. And that's kind of what's interesting to me about it and why I wanted to talk with you about it. Because I think as like in the contained Jessica Simpson world where she is talking about her own experience and what she experienced and the access that she has to a lot of different people. I forgot the, the great scene early on where she auditions for and does not make Mickey Mouse Club because you know, Britney Spears and Christina Aguilera do. And also because I think she screws up her audition. But in terms of Jessica Simpson's take on Jessica Simpson, it's really interesting. But there is this kind of lurking tension underneath of like Jessica Simpson as a a pop cultural phenomenon and such a specific product of that mid-2000s reality culture. And, And also what the word like Jessica Simpson meant. I went back and I was just like Googling coverage of her and happened upon like a GQ cover that I think was timed with the Dukes of Hazzard. Yeah. And it's like Jessica Simpson in a bunch of camo and an American flag bikini. And it's, you know, just about like Jessica Simpson as, you know, the all American girl, quote unquote. And, and that seems like very far away just in terms of like what we understood to be an ideal and how we oriented celebrity and, and this idea of Americanness and who is a star. And I think she does a decent job of reflecting on that as it affected like her own life and had some distance from it. But I kind of crave some more socio-cultural like analysis of that period in time, because it was a very strange pop cultural period. Well, I think post 9-11, the idea of like defining what was American and who and specifically who looks American when there was like so much racial profiling in that era. Mm -hmm. And it was like it was like kind of like widely accepted as like part of American life. Like there is racial profiling here Um, and there always has been of many people of color. I think it really came to the forefront with people who look Muslim or or like a very stereotypical way after 9-11. And that was like absolutely horrible and i i but i think to your point it's like pretty connected and sort of like defining this sort of like american strength after 9-11 in the early part of the century and it's it's real it's really really fraught and it's probably i think to your point like really not discussed enough no and it's you know it's unexamined in the book obviously which i i don't know to what extent you can expect jessica simpson to be able to unpack all of the projection that was forced upon her though. I, though, frankly, I think you could do a little more there. There is like a strong, like Texas Christian element to, to what she's writing that she she's embracing a lot of the associations without complexity, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Um, but you know, again, I just, I also recently watched the, um, John Stewart film irresistible. Mm. I don't, I don't know whether you saw it. If you didn't, I don't recommend it because I don't plan I d- to. 
I didn't, I didn't think it was particularly nuanced, but it also felt like a product of that particular era in time. Like the, the, the post nine 11, um, Bush administration pop culture and how we were all responding to it. And that was obviously a very formative time for me just because I was young and taking all these things into my brain and not examining them maybe in the way that I should. And it was a weird time. And yeah. I, I it's, it, it was a weird time. And it's interesting to go back and start excavating some of these things. Um, I would love for people with some more kind of critical heft to start excavating because I, you know, if only to better understand my own warped mind, I suppose <laughs> to bring it back, to bring it back to me. <laughs> I, I think also like one thing about Jessica Simpson, that's always just sort of been a given is that she's dumb. And I think that's very much because of the newlywed show that she did with Nick Lachey, newlywed Nick and mm-hmm. Jessica, the chicken of the sea comment about, about tuna, mm-hmm. um, lives on in infamy. And I, I think that she's been, unfairly maligned as like being dumb. And I, I believe, I remember reading when the book came out that part of her relationship with John Mayer was like, she always like worried she was like too stupid for him. And I think that there's a, again, like a lot of like projecting of dumb blonde onto her, which, you know, is what, whether like her, I don't even know how you measure like smarts, you know, like I, what's the answer to that? I don't know. But I, I think that there's also like a lot of kind of, um, it's like not surprising that she, had such a hard time with like some of the attention she got because so much of it was really negative and like downplaying like downplaying who she is because she was pretty blonde which is not to say that like she is anything but I think that to your point about projection there was just a lot of like this is what we expect from like a blonde pop singer and that's that yeah I think that's true I I was thinking a lot about how I just don't is there a Jessica Simpson of this moment is this how we do celebrity now I think that the um, some of the like TikTok famous young women are closer to mm-hmm. Jessica Simpson than like pop stars are right now. Like you look at Ariana Grande, who has been started started out on Nickelodeon, not completely dissimilar from Jessica Simpson, like and just sort of being part of like the kid star machinery or wanting to be a part of it, and has morphed into this pop star who has registered thousands of people to vote at her concerts, like. And then you look at someone like Billie Eilish, who is actively rejecting a lot of um, sort of like body conformativity, if that's the right phrase. And mm-hmm. I think those are like the two most popular young women in pop music right now um, off the top of my head. And, you know, they are so different than like what Jessica Simpson was. So I, I think that it is different. Yeah, that's true. It's funny. I still immediately just associate her as a reality, a reality star which I guess is just what I was paying attention to at the time, even though I'm not a reality person, as you know, I just think that that's kind of how she pierced the consciousness was with chicken of the sea and these clips. Um, and this, this narrative that was manufactured outside of maybe not outside of her experience, because obviously like she's in it, but that she became kind of a, a prop of a larger yeah, undertaking. In many ways, career beats only. The closest comp to Jessica Simpson is Rihanna, who has also moved away from music and used her name to create like a brand that is extremely successful. And I there that is like the most basic reading of Rihanna. I, I she's so much more than that. And I I think that I give her a lot of credit for charting her own course. But like it's just sort of it's not that common. It's really hard to do. And Rihanna didn't have to take a beat through uh 
reality TV or that kind of right. like public scrutiny. Well, yeah. I mean, the other thing is that Rihanna has at, been able to assume a level of control over her own career that it, I, I think that Jessica Simpson now has at this point, but like part of the the brand of Rihanna is just that Rihanna is, is interested in this and she's only going to release the music when she wants to. And yeah. she can, she like, she is making the decisions. Um, I, I thought you were going to say the Kardashians for Jessica mm. Simpson. Because, I, I mean, you take out the music stuff and, I, you know, you're right that she was a pop star and she can sing. And she, God, she reminds you of that a lot in this book. And she just really, the number of times that she talks about singing God Bless America, I, I'm just like, I, okay, I get it. Um, but in terms of reality to mega fashion deal, which the Kardashians have done like more with beauty than with fashion, but you know, Kim Kardashian signed, you know, sold some other thing again this week. And now we have to have another war about whether the Kardashians are billionaires on paper or not, which I think they have a lot of money. I don't care. Um, yeah. So at the end of the day, I just want to celebrate Rihanna, you know? So that's why I've steered us here. <laughs> Same. I, that's great. Me too. Shout out Rihanna. Um, she's an do you inspiration. Think she'll ever release the album, the album. No. Maybe she will release a album, but like this one that everyone thinks she's sitting on, I'm going with no. Okay. Well, whatever Rihanna wants. Truly. I wonder where she's quarantining. London, probably. I was also going to guess London just because the last time we got updates on like, quote, where is Rihanna? um, She was living with some degree of anonymity in London, according to reports that I have absolutely no way to verify. So... (laughs) Let's move on. Speaking of London, I'd like to tell you about my passion this week, which was yes, which is the oeuvre of Michaela Cole. And you may have read about I May Destroy You. You may have read about it on The Ringer. You may have read about it elsewhere. Allison Herman wrote about it. Chris and Andy talked about it on The Watch. Um, there's a piece in The New Yorker this week about it by Doreen St. Felix. It is astonishing. The show is really good. And I, I definitely recommend it. I wouldn't say it's like an easy watch. There's like, you know, it's... Um, this becomes clear in the first episode, but uh, it's about the sort of the aftermath of a sexual assault and kind of coming to grips with it. And in a very, very unique and, and interesting and provocative way. It's Chris and Andy, I think called it astonishing on their pod. It's like the only way I can really think, think to categorize it. It's unlike anything else. Um, it's like, I feel like a, a common, um, compliment for really good television is it's like theater on stay on tv which is kind of like what was inside about normal people and fleabag this is very much a television show it uses like what is possible on screen to its just absolute maximum effect but the acting is is like with the precision of stage acting and it's just it's just it, ta- it it's like almost like defies words like it's so true to its medium that it it defies words so i encourage you to watch it I then, as a result of really just being blown away by the show, which um, there's four episodes currently on HBO. There'll be 12 to come. You may have seen Adele posting about how she thinks it's like the best show she's ever seen. I then watched Michaela Cole's um, hour-long lecture at the 2018 Edinburgh Television Festival, which she talks a lot about. um, Or she tells an hour-long story of her journey from growing up in the Tower Hamlet um housing in the city of london like near like for like the bank of 
the stock exchanges and and she explained she lived across the street from the Royal Bank of Scotland um, to making chewing gum, which was on Netflix a couple years ago. And and now she is making she I think at the time she was like probably getting started on I May Destroy You. And she's like an incredible speaker. And I I was just so blown away by this speech. She talks about such like the incredibly timely topics of owning her own work and just like the in the sort of like in endemic racism in to the television industry and how much people just like accept things because you're told that's the way it is. Um and she weaves just like on the television show, she weaves in so much like charisma and humor and poignancy and honesty. And I just like can't think of another performer like Michaela Cole. Um, and then, you know, I was reading Dorian's piece in The New Yorker and she just goes over like all of the ways that the show that the television show is amazing. And then I, I was reading Michaela Cole's Wikipedia page and she's just like, you know, she's done every kind of performance, like slam poetry. She's a writer. She's been on television. She does theater, like all this stuff. And I'm just like so immensely excited and blown away by this like prodigious talent. And I like chewing gum a lot, but for some reason, this lecture on YouTube, I just really recommend it. Just absolutely just blew me away. And I don't know. I, I think it's sort of like a really interesting counterpart Jessica Simpson, because I would say she's the absolute inverse. Like there's just sort of like, it's also funny because like Michaela Cole and she works into chewing gum, um, grew up very Christian, but then sort of moved away from, from Christianity, but it's made it into her work. And it's, I, I don't know, like trying to like sum her up, obviously is impossible. I've been monologuing about this for coming up on two minutes, but, um, I just, am, I'm blown. I'm simply blown away. And like, I just, I urge you to watch this speech on YouTube. It's an hour, but it's really worth it. Just minimize it. Listen to it. It's all good. Yeah. I, I want to be clear. I, I feel really dumb now because I have not yet, um, been able to catch up with this show because I spent my time watching irresistible and reading the Jessica Simpson book, which yeah. I, I, it, neither of those are endorsements in the in the way that you just made an endorsement I'm really looking forward to watching it I also really enjoy chewing gum um so I I, I want to be clear one was kind of like an interesting sociological study sure and the other is like a um a, a work of art that really spoke to you and that is like exciting about the future uh so just every everybody be clear about the jam session endorsements on this on this podcast I also endorse the floor is lava on Netflix as I have previously okay. So I'm going high and low. Those are my passions right now. Oh, and also Crazy Delicious with Carla Hall on Netflix, which I started watching last night, which is okay. like, you have to make the most insane, delicious, de like things to like sweets on this television show called Crazy Delicious. Just watch it. Netflix has gone so wild with their unscripted programming. I really, I appreciate it. I think that I'm the target Netflix viewer. I will watch almost anything they put in front of me and I look forward to what they offer me every Friday. Anyway, back to Michaela Cole, who someday will probably the, by be on the Netflix. Way, we were not, that was not an ad. No, no free ads. That was just Juliet all. speaking from the heart. Okay. <laughs> it's Friday. How many days away is it? You know, just give, give me yeah. some more Netflix content. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's like really exciting. I think that Michaela Cole has been compared to Phoebe Waller-Bridge. I think just because they're like two women who started in theater and moved to television and they both happen to be British and kind of star in their own written um, shows. But, and, and I do think there's the same kind of exhilaration of like, wow, this is a really talented woman. I can't wait to see what she does next. But Michaela Cole's, um, you know, 
I, I just think like comparing them as feudal because they're just they're different. And what Michaela Cole is doing is sort of like irrelevant to what Phoebe Waller Bridge is doing. And I I just think that the sim- the reason people are making that comp is because like there's like this absolute thrill in experiencing this woman's creation that is really hard to replicate. And one thing I'm really enjoying about this is it's coming week by week. And I think I'm pretty much, I'm very much on the record as being anti-binge watching. And so this is like absolutely great for me. I'm loving it. It's exciting for me because I can catch up. If you told me there were 12 episodes and you'd consumed them all and I'd already missed the conversation. That's not true. I think that I would try to catch up on my own time, but being able to like hop on the train a little late, but still to be a part of the experience is very exciting to me. So I'm going to seek it out. Yeah. And I think also like when Unbelievable came out, people were like, wow, this is a really good show. But we moved on really quickly. And I mentioned them because it's also a show about sexual assault. I think there's something really powerful about sitting with this week to week about um, this, this show that explores trauma. And I think it, you know, it's also very much centered on this black woman and her, her black circle of friends. And I think it's like really, really worthwhile to, to be like revisiting it every week instead of just like binge watching through it and, and moving on. And there's so much just incredible work in this television show. I, I'm, I'm so, I'm so like excited that it exists. So can I ask you one question in terms of watching the, the show and then watching the YouTube speech that you recommended, should I catch up with the show and then watch the YouTube speech? Um, I think in either way, I think it okay. also watching the speech is an incredible testament to what a great actress she is. Like, I'm definitely someone when I read a book and I watch a show that I just like forget that I'm watching a performance and that the actor mm-hmm. might not actually be like that. But it's mm-hmm. really amazing to watch Michaela Cole be herself to, or being her her lecturer self. I don't want to assume that she is exactly as I saw in that video either. I, I don't know her, but it's really cool seeing her deliver a speech versus her as an actress, which also like, you know, it's a very different role than chewing gum as well. So it's really cool, like comparison of like, wow, what a insanely um what a person, what, how much depth can one person have? I, I, I didn't know it was possible. Okay, great. I'm sold. This is, this is the end of my thoughts on Michaela Cole. Just check her out, everyone. For this week, for this for, week. For this week, yes, exactly. Okay. On the topic of English people, just a quick royal watch. There's so many vile headlines about Meghan and Harry right now. Yeah. Again, we're transitioning back to things we don't endorse. This yeah. is like, this is the ultimate, like, absolutely not do better. Yeah. So there, there are, there are just a tremendous amount of like petty and gross and vile and unnecessary headlines about them. And the reason for that is because there are three books by my count. I'm sure there are more because, you know, of the way that the UK versus the U S publishing things are released, um, that there may be more in the UK that I don't, don't know about, but there are currently like three quote, I'm putting scare quotes around the word books right now. Uh, to let you know what I think about them, books that are being uh, circulated or trying to be sold right now. And so I think what's happening is essentially um, after Harry and Meghan announced that they would be moving to the U.S., everyone was like, okay, now we got to put the books in motion. And so we're seeing all of like the rushed out tabloidy quote books being published simultaneously in a race to get headlines. And also I think there is an element of... um, the real world news is very difficult, um, specifically in terms of, you know, COVID-19 and there isn't a lot of 
celebrity quote news. So this is just something it's filler for these tabloids. And so, you know, there's a like a very old tidbit from the Tina Brown Diana book, which is that even after Princess Diana died, there would always be um, Diana headlines in tabloids on Monday because Monday was a slow news day. And they knew that anything, even the most made up story about Princess Diana um, would would sell. So it feels like there's a little bit of that going on, which is all by way of saying, like, don't don't engage. Don't don't read these books. Don't. Um, they all seem flimsily and maliciously uh, written. I was going to say reported, but even there, you know, as a person who actually respects reporting, I don't really have a lot of confidence in the author's of these books, um, particularly the author of Royals at War, which, you know, just Google uh, Jeffrey Tubin's New Yorker piece about the National Enquirer and read that instead of reading any of these books and you'll have an understanding of the tabloid situation and what's going on here. But it's, it's unfair and it's gross and it's frustrating that the only thing to do is to like, quote, not read them. It, totally. that that's the only really power that you have because it is, it's completely unnecessary, but that's, that's where we are, I guess. It makes me mad. It really makes me mad. There's so many of them like every day. I'm just like, this is not, none of these stories could possibly like, so maybe one of these is correct. I don't know which one. And maybe there's a morsel of truth in each of them, but like the people inside the, the Royal apparatus and Megan and Harry just don't talk that much. There's not this much information to be had. Yeah, it, it, you're completely right. And it just feels like eighth hand scurrilous, not even gossip, just opinions and that anyone can publish anything. And, I, you know, I think so, some of it is definitely influenced by the conversations you and I have been having about kind of what we want to pay attention to and, you know, what feels essential and what feels like total noise. I think this would just feel like unfair noise in really any circumstance. And it's just so clearly a bunch of people trying to make money six months later off a thing that happened. Um, and that is how it works, I guess. And I, then the power that we have is letting them make the money or not. So I, I'm going to, I have not bought any of these books. I don't plan to. All right. We're done with that. F that. Okay. Next. A Sally Rooney update. First of all, Hulu ordered straight to series conversations with friends, a 12 part adaptation of the book that I preferred to normal people. So I'm <laughs> thrilled. How do you feel, Amanda? <laughs> I feel great. So it's the same creative team, right? It'd be Lenny yeah. Abramson and um, the, everyone else behind normal people, which is, I think, essential because I think I slightly preferred normal people, the book, but loved both of the books. And I loved normal people as um, I, th I thought it was a successful adaptation of a book that I liked, though, frankly, I didn't remember half the plot of normal people, which is just more about me and my brain. Um, but also it was successful on its own. I thought as just like a, a TV series, it was something I really enjoyed watching. So you want people who know what they're doing, both with the source material and in terms of like making a good TV show involved. So I, I feel great. I'm just, I'm pleased. I immediately sent you the, the news as soon as I saw it in celebration. Here's why it's particularly great news that this creative team is, is taking up conversations with friends. 
If you liked the trip to Italy in Normal People, which many people seem to have really enjoyed that episode and that house and the way it was set, I know we've got a lot more of that coming in a conversation with friends because mm-hmm. most of that book, not most, but a lot of the pivotal parts of that book are set in France and sort of mm-hmm. like the country in the countryside. It's France, right? I think it is. I thought so. Yes. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's France. And again, I don't remember what happens in these books, but yes, it's going to be beautiful. I'm really, really excited. Also, I think conversation with friends um, in some ways is like engages with relationships in uh, a slightly in a slightly different way. I mean, there's there's like a queer relationship at the heart of the book. And I'm like excited for that to be on screen. And it's just like a, I'm just really I'm really excited. I cannot wait to see what the casting is like. I don't even want to like dare to cast it because they did such a great job with normal people, two people I didn't know before that I'm just like, Mm -hmm. I'm insanely excited to see what quartet three women and a man they choose for the main roles. Yeah. That's an interesting one where I, I'm going to try and I'm just announcing this now and I please don't hold me to it, but to try not to follow every aspect of the production of this, like, you know, I'm curious who they cast, but part of the joy of normal people was just that the show started and we watched it and we were like, Oh my God, this is amazing. And if I follow every casting update and like every onset photo, you know, that's taken, it's like, Oh, they're doing this. And Oh, they're doing that. It does affect your viewing experience for sure. Um, and kind of literalize it as it in a way that, uh, I'm, I'm going to try to recreate the normal people experience, even though I am definitely going to send you every single bit of news that I find out about this production. So I, I don't know. It's a complex time. I can't wait. I'm I'm really really excited, and I I really hope that um no one from normal people is in it. Maybe like a bit a bit part, but like let's just keep on keep on finding great actors. You know? Yeah. I don't know if I need it to be like an extended universe, even though it is sort of. But like the character, we don't need continuity of characters. No. I think we can just need no. a we need a continuity of vibe. Absolutely. Okay. Great way of putting it. Um, there also was like a red herring news last week that there was going to be a normal people sequel set 40 years in the future with Daisy Edgar Jones and Paul Meskel. And it turns out it's like for um uh like something similar to Red Nose Day. It, it came out last week there was gonna be a, like a something of a sequel with Daisy Edgar Jones and Paul Meskel playing their parts 40 years in the future. And it it turns out that it's for um RTE does comic relief, which is you know like charity for this irish uh television station that richard curtis is behind and he's done something similar for red nose day with the bbc in the uk and whatever richard curtis like (laughs) i'm concerned about you i feel like he hasn't had like a a truly great idea in in a minute and i love richard curtis said with love i i'm just mad because this really got me and like i was only informed that it was going to be like a 10 minute comic relief type type endeavor uh right before this podcast when you and our producer erica were like no no amanda it's just a, it's a it's a bit and i was like oh uh, because definitely for a week i was irresponsible and only read read the headlines i know i preach a lot about context and checking your sources but i'm a human being too and i did the thing where i just read the headline and moved on with my day and you know what happens the, then you don't get all the information so i'm i was a little put out and I also wanted more from the feature film yesterday written by Richard Curtis. I think his last like hit was about time. And that's like kind of like a underrated cult classic type of movie. 
Yeah, I think it's it is on one of the streaming services right now. And you I think you said that on a another podcast recently. And so I I haven't yet rewatched it, but I've been meaning to. I rewatched uh Notting Hill for the mm. thousandth time the other night because I we talked about it on the big picture, uh movies about making movies. That's about making movies, friends. Notting Hills are just tremendous. Treme- absolutely tremendous. One of the yeah. greatest dinner party scenes of all time. True. I mean, a lot of great scenes. One of the great press junket scenes, mm-hmm. you know, and when Misha, Misha Barton, early yeah. Misha Barton cameo working with Leonardo. Anyway, I, I do. I don't endorse a lot of things on this podcast, but I do endorse not a kill. Also, when they climb over the gate to get into the secret garden and then like sit on the Whoopsie bench. Daisy. So good. Yeah. Just so, so yeah. good. All right. You know what? We recommend Notting Hill. Check it out right after you watch Michaela Cole's 48 or 53 minute speech on YouTube. Um, We'll be back next week. Thanks for listening. 